This is the Digital Kung Fu Show, episode 54. Digital Kung Fu is something you should see. Videos and podcasts reveal the digital key. Digital disruption is something you should know. Conquer it and you will soon see your business grow. Answer all the questions. See the road ahead. Know the market strategies become a thoroughbred. Know the state of technology. Share it with someone new. And suddenly you will conceive a different point of view. All because it took the time for digital kung fu. This episode is brought to you by the Digital Health Score System. So who's it for? Well, it's for business executives or business owners. I've given it a try and I think it's pretty cool. Um, but basically what it allows you to do is to test and identify where your digital weaknesses are as a business. And so what's unique about it? Well, it uses a proprietary statistical data model to help you understand not only how digitally healthy your business is, but also how your business compares to competitors in your industry. Wouldn't that be awesome? So what do you have to do? Well, you have to go to digitalhealthscore.co.za and click the take the assessment button. And the assessment lasts about eight minutes. And the system uses um, this kind of like cool model at the back end to predict and assess where your weaknesses are. And these weaknesses kind of sit uh, across strategy, people, technical, or your ability to innovate as a company. So this is pretty cool stuff. So head on over to digitalhealthscore.co.za now to take your assessments. And remember that all your data is kept strictly confidential. So don't wait, guys. Get your digital grading now. Hey guys, our guest today is Matsi Modise. She is a entrepreneurial activist and the current MD of CIMO DISA, which is an industry association whose mission is to accelerate uh, entrepreneurship in South Africa by doing a whole bunch of cool things, the least of which is lobbying the private sector and government to uh, regulate or implement new uh, policies and frameworks to stimulate the business environment of South Africa. Matty has such a great story from very humble rural beginnings in Bloemfontein to today where she's on a global stage. In January this year, she was in Davos, Switzerland, where she was invited as part of the Global Young Activists or Global Shapers program to give a talk. And she shared the stage with the chairman of Coca-Cola, the founder of Airbnb, and the musician Will I Am. And so her story really is a compelling one. And I hope that in, as a result of this episode, her story will compel others to pursue the path of entrepreneurship. Uh, it's not a path for everyone, as we know, but it is a very rewarding path and a necessary path if we're going to fix the economy of South Africa. And that is one key subject that we do talk about today. So without further ado, enter Matsi Modise. Hello, hustlers, and welcome to another cracking edition of the Digital Kung Fu Show. This is the 54th edition. And today I'm thrilled to have with me Matsi. From Simodisa. Miss Matsi. Miss Matsi, yes. Not not Mrs. Hey, not no, yet. Not not yet the Mrs. <laughs> there you go, guys. Too Ready? much hustling. Yeah, too much hustling. Yeah, no. Do you have time for No, I don't have time in? for um getting to be Miss the Mrs. <laughs> <laughs> never say never, hey. Mm. I was definitely in the never in the never camp. Until until it happened. Yeah, no. And now look at my life. <laughs> All rainbows and sunshine. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, you know, ups, ups and downs. Ups I would and say. downs. So let's jump straight into into things. Mm -hmm. um, what was the greatest lesson your father ever taught you? 
Gee, well, that's a very interesting question. But I think what my dad did teach me is to be giving because he's not. Oh, really? <laughs> I kind of thought, Dad, you're a bit too stingy and you, you hoard a lot of things, you hoard a lot of money, and I'm going to be the, the opposite. So I'm basically the opposite of Dad. So the, the sense of giving because that's actually when you get more. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. You have to give in order to receive. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. What did your dad do, by the way? Well, he's a microbiologist. So he's somebody that's not much business um, oriented and he's somebody that's very much He's been doing the same job for as long as I've been alive. I mean, he's been working in the same office. He goes in the office from nine until five. And then this is from Monday till Friday. So also the other thing that he taught me is that that is not life. You, know, you cannot work in one environment for 30 years. Mm. So I appreciate people that do it. But I believe that people in our generation should not live and die in the same employment. So yeah. my mom is the opposite. She's somebody that's very much being, um, you know, self-employed, fun employed. Um, at some point she did get employed by, you know, big companies. She was the CEO of this and the financial director of that. She's, she, she was quite the hustler. And dad was the guy that actually had a very, very stable life. However, the, the advantage of that is that you see now in his old age, he's the one that's really, really saved a lot. You know, there's a lot to fall back on. And mom being a hustler, it's like, mom, I wish you were a better hustler because when you're dad's age or when you're at your age right now, you should be like swimming in the money. But she kind of didn't make a lot of um, financial, a, a lot of great financial decisions. But the thing is, if you're young, you should actually learn from both your parents. You should see that had mom made these kind of decisions, life could have probably been a bit easier and better. But also if had dad, uh, you know, lived a little bit, then maybe life could be a bit more exciting for him. But mm. he's a guy that's not going to just, you know, retire well, not too handsomely, but, you know, he's not going to have any You'll issues. You'll be comfortable, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, uh, I want to pick up on one of the things you said there. I think our generation is has to approach everything completely differently. I mean, mm. are you familiar with the term the irrelevance bomb? No. So the, irrele the irrelevance bomb implies given the nature of exponential technology mm -hmm. that it's, so take your dad, for instance, he's a microbiologist. He only ever did one job. Mm. Our generation and the generations that will um, come after us mm -hmm. will probably do 40 different jobs. Mm. And if you take AI, for instance, and let's take a developer. So today a developer, if you can write code, you can build apps, products, digital things. Cool. Right. Mm -hmm. But what happens when AI starts to write its own code and it mm. can already do that? Well, it's going to make a lot of things irrelevant. Well, us irrelevant. And this is the the impetus on learning, right? Mm -hmm. So there's this, and so you're not going to learn what you need to in the traditional educational institutions. Mm. This puts a greater focus and impetus on informal learning. Take podcasts, mm -hmm. for instance. Mm -hmm. So, and I think the the kind of point there really is about if one is going to remain relevant in the business world in the future, mm -hmm. learning and the um, the, the kind of discipline of learning needs to be applied consistently, mm, mm. even for us moving forward. Sure. I mean, 2035, I think they're saying the singularity. Will you still gonna, be alive? Uh, I think so. I hope so. But I'm going to be on an island. Oh, brilliant. Yes. Eating no. up all your money. <laughs> but anyway, so we've detoured, but let's come back to you. So uh -huh. let's talk about you and your journey. What's your backstory? My backstory is that I'm a 
young person still, um, I have a very similar background to a lot of young people in the country. However, it just seems like I've decided to do things a little bit differently. And hence, that's why the outcomes are also quite um, different and pronounced. And that's why maybe I, I tend to stick out based on the things that I've done. So to put a little bit of meat and context to that is that I studied um, finance um, at Wits University. I then had an opportunity to have an internship at one of the um, invest investment banks. It's called Investec. Loved it. Really did love Investec, but I was only there for two years. Uh, the system literally just kicked me out and in the literal sense. Yeah. I remember a couple of days before I left, I had a conversation with Stephen Kosev, who's the CEO, and he wanted me to stay because we graduates, we young, we black, and you know how transformation is. Everybody wants to ensure that we have the the right kind of numbers in institutions. So to lose a young person who they have put within this institution was like, no, don't go, don't go, don't go, please don't go. I'm like, Stephen, it's fine. It's just me. <laughs> but then, you know, he tried his level best, but a couple of days um, I left. And I, I remember, you know, when I was leaving, I just thought the idea of staying in this bank is actually much more frightening than the idea of leaving and going into the unknown because I hadn't really planned. I didn't have a business plan. I didn't know that I was going to be for the next seven years an entrepreneur. Mm. I didn't know what was going to happen. So I decided to go back home, which is a free state to go figure things out a bit. My mom being the entrepreneur, she is, she's like, Hey, why don't we go into business? Why don't you try this? And yeah, I mean, the rest is kind of for the past seven years since I have been unemployed, self-employed, fun employed. Um, it's, it's been wonderful being in an environment where I've had to figure out how do I eat? How do I make other people eat? How do I employ people as a woman you always have the thing around you know gender imbalances that lost ceiling but for me I, I think when I was in those corporate environments that experienced that something just said well you know what if you want to create your own um, and not encounter glass ceilings, then you have to literally build your own. You have to climb your own ladder, actually build your own ladder, not something that somebody has laid out. So for the past seven years, I've been, you know, self-employed. Um, I've been an um, entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneurship activist. So I've ran institutions such as the South African Black Entrepreneurs Forum, going into townships and um, enabling township entrepreneurs to have access to funding, capital, social capital, uh, literally building ecosystems in townships. And then now I'm at the helm of entrepreneurship growth in South Africa. So I'm the MD of CIMODISA, which is an industry association looking at the policy um, environment, uh, looking at venture capital and also building uh, an entrepreneurial community by connecting all the stakeholders so that there's less friction for entrepreneurs to have access to information and opportunities. Mm -hmm. And that's a really tough mandate eh, in South Africa. It's tough. Um, it's tough to navigate. There's a lot to navigate through. You have to work with the government, you have to work with the private sector, you have to work with entrepreneurs, you have to convince, you have to shape minds, you have to shift minds, you have to beg, you have to grovel. But the good thing is that you, I'm, I like doing that because I'm doing it on behalf of the greater good of our country. If we get more entrepreneurs in South Africa, it'll be a better place. We'll have more people empowering themselves and creating jobs for others and definitely, uh, you know, contributing towards the economy. And if we have more entrepreneurial thinking people imagine now you're not going to go through school and say i want a job it's like well i'm going to create jobs i'm going to create my own jobs so if we had more and more people coming up and coming out like that i think south africa will be a much more dynamic country uh, we really have a lot to work with it's a south africa is a wonderful country however you know the entrepreneurial nature of our country still needs to be developed and that's why that's what we do yeah okay um, we actually connected for the first time at the Innovators Club 
That's uh, correct. Just down the road here in Joburg. Yes. And you basically giving a 20-minute talk to a whole bunch of, I think one of my clients was there actually, and then a whole bunch of entrepreneurs and so on and so forth. And one of the things that kind of popped up after your talk was Mm -hmm. a whole bunch of questions. One of those questions was, um, do you believe that entrepreneurship or small business is the de facto solution to the economic problems of South Africa? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. I think it's a global thing. It's not just South Africa. And I think at this point in time, entrepreneurship is happening because you were fired or you resigned or you no longer have an opportunity to work for somebody. So that seems to be the trend. And what we're trying to shape and and, and, and shift is that an entrepreneur or your entrepreneurial endeavor should be an option, not you're forced into it because now you don't have a job. So that then talks to the entrepreneurial culture and our ability to ensure that people know that it's an option. You know, when you finish high school, it's good to have a degree. I think it's something nice because it does enrich your 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 learnings. It does enrich your mind. You do, you know, tend to explore different facets of the world. Um, and it's something nice to fall back on because, you know, if everything all was to fail, I could be a boring accountant somewhere. If all was to fail. So I have that to kind of say. But I, I just believe that um, employment right now is no longer as secure as it used to be. So people can't see security in being employed because now people are struggling for jobs. It's 27.2% of unemployment. So there's nothing secure about that. The security is your ability to actually create your own. The ability to say that, well, for the past seven years, I've had to figure out how I'm going to get paid. How I'm going to put bread in that security, knowing that I can actually do it. So if we were to instill those kind of principles in young people by giving them entrepreneurship 101 by exposing them to, you know, um, I mean, I, I, I remember when I was in high school, I was asked to, we were asked to develop products and sell them. So do it for three months and then see how your business grows. And I used to be called the muffin girl for the longest of times because every morning I'd have a fresh basket of like amazing muffins. You know, they literally sell off between like before 10 o'clock in the morning and I'd always have to run around and, you know, people would buy on credit. I have to run around with my little book going to chase people for my money. But till this day, people remember me as a muffin girl and it's probably no surprise that they're now, you know, reading about me as this entrepreneur and entrepreneurial activist because that's, it was ingrained and I have a family um, you know, of women that have been entrepreneurial. Granny used to sell little, um, you know, scones so that my parents, well, my mom could go to school and her siblings. Yeah. So mom also had to, at some point, she had a hair salon. So I saw that, um, you know, uh, growing up. 
And I think if I didn't see it, if I had, let's say, a mom who was just a teacher and a dad who's a microbiologist, it would be different. But I used to see my mother hustle. Mm. Yeah. That's um, a very interesting insight there because when I was, I was rappelling Rabana, I was talking to um, Chipo was another one. And this consistent point keeps coming up that, you know, entrepreneurship as a path isn't, you know, a lot of kids these days. Let's say, let's say you can't afford to go to school, or even mm. if you are, you are able to afford tertiary mm-hmm. education. Ent- entrepreneurship as a path isn't pointed out to you. It's almost mm. not there until you're in the real world and you suddenly have a story such as yours, which is Investec isn't the place for me, and I want to climb my own ladder. Mm. And so, I guess my question to you, quite simply, is how do we expose a greater portion of the population Mm. about the opportunities of entrepreneurship in South Africa? I think if we had more role models, and I I know it sounds like a very bland statement. But you're a role role model. (laughs) I would hope that I am. Sometimes I'm wondering, like, am I really a role model right now? (laughs) But I just think that... (laughs) Yes, Matt. Yes, yes. (laughs) I do question myself sometimes. But generally, I am a role model. Imposter syndrome in the house. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so, like, I mean, if I if there were more role models of people that have just done it, even if it's not the guy that you're going to read about in Forbes magazine, it is just a community entrepreneur, community uh, business owner, somebody that owns a shop and that said that, well, I didn't have the options of being employed. I have had to have this particular shop of mine for the past 15 years. And this is what has actually taken my school to my kids to school and all of that great stuff that I've been able to do, build my family. It's a simple story that can be sold, but we are not selling those stories. But and whose job is it to sell it? Well, I would say people like us, an organization like a Simodisa, because, mm. um, you know, on the train, you heard those great, uh, that great conversation around innovations that uh, come out of South Africa, yeah. but have changed the world. Half of that stuff they were mentioning, I don't know about them. I'm in this industry. Now, imagine people that are not even in this industry. They don't know anything about innovations that have come out of South Africa. They don't see us as an innovative country. But if we were to capture that conversation, which is what we're going to do, um, then imagine now everybody will kind of say, yes, there's this example of a great South African innovation. And South Africans are actually not that country that's not innovative. So I think organizations like ours, platforms like yours, if we could actually just scale what's happening, if anybody could listen to the simple stories, it's not those people you read about in Entrepreneur Magazine or Forbes Magazine. There are a lot of simple people that have actually started and created their own businesses and have really brought up their kids, taken them to school, built their families around small businesses. So selling those stories is very, very important. And I think if more young people are exposed to it's possible, it's doable. Like, I mean, like I said, I'm a young woman from the free state. I'm no different from any other person. It's just that the decisions that I made were a bit different and they've put me to where I am in life. So if people were to know that, well, sometimes you don't have to follow the convention. You create your own reality because each and every day is different. It's dynamic. Every year is different. It's dynamic. However, if I had to paint a picture of somebody that did what I did when I was in investment banking, that's damn boring. You're actually using the same color all the time. It's like Mm. the same color. But with mine, it's like it's been a color for seven years. Mm. Yeah. I think now that we've established whose job it is to sell it, and I think it's actually the community's job. Mm. And one of the questions that I asked, I think it was from Elon Ray's, um, not sure, but I basically made the point about the economy and that, <clears throat> that a, I think we can all agree that a strong economy is good for everyone. Mm. 
And we know that it's business, right? Small business, entrepreneurship, that's the engine room of mm -hmm. this future growth, potentially. Mm. Um, and if we've now established that it's the community, really, that needs to do this job of selling entrepreneurship mm. and, you know, communicating the story, sharing the stories, all those sorts of things, mm. who are we supposed to tell those stories to? Because I have a theory on this one. And very simply, I think you have... We were talking before we started recording about generations, right? Generational mm. age gaps and all that kind of stuff. And there's the stigma um, around taking the risk outside of standard employment. So banks, mm. becoming a doctor, a lawyer, accountant, or whatever the case mm. is. And the parents very often are the ones that are the, are the, the ball and chain mm. for young kids who have these ambitions mm. of grandeur and all these kind of things. Because... You know, let's let's paint a picture. So let's say someone hears this podcast, right? Mm -hmm. He's he's a 19-year-old uh, black kid from Soweto mm -hmm. and he wants to now become an entrepreneur because he's so inspired or she's so inspired mm -hmm. by your story. Mm. That kid's parents, in many instances, are actually stopping that kid from pursuing those ambitions. Because, mm. Do you know what I mean? Because sure. they've, they've put money into the educational system or whatever the case is mm. and they don't believe, for whatever reason, potentially, mm that entrepreneurship is in fact something sure. that the kid can do. And so what happens in many instances mm. is that the kid actually gets talked out of mm -hmm. pursuing that path. What, mm. are you, what are your thoughts? Well, I think if you're an entrepreneur, like I, I kind of lived a tale of two cities um, in the sense that dad was like, you know, a professional man that, you know, just stuck to his guns, has been doing the same job for 30 years and Matsu, you must become a doctor. Matsu, you must be educated. Matsu, why are you quitting your job? I've spent so much money in educating you and now you have this wonderful opportunity and you're, you know, messing it up. Uh, what are you doing? And then there's mom who like silently observes saying, this is my child because I can see a lot of her in me. And I would say for any child who's an entrepreneur, you will defy what people say because that's what I did. You know, I had my dad who was saying, but no, Matsi, why are you leaving a very secure investment job in Johannesburg? A lot of young people at your age would die to be where you are, but now you're going into doing what exactly? He didn't even know, nor did I. However, seven years later, he's reading about me. He's telling his friends about his daughter. She's traveling. She's doing this. She's doing that. But if I had listened to him seven years ago, um, you know, I wouldn't perhaps have had the journey that I've had. But I would say that if you're 19 years old and you're an entrepreneur, you will somehow defy it. There's just a burning desire and burning energy inside of you. That's just convinced that you are up to something and you're up to something great and you have to fulfill it. So anybody that would shy away from it, I would say that, you know, that's not necessarily the good qualities of an entrepreneur because an entrepreneur sees beyond the reality. You know, these are like, you know, the crazy people that tell you that, well, I'm going to create a app that's going to connect cars at any point in time. If you call for a car, it will be able to pick you up. It will be able to get a sense of who's around and it will connect you to that person. They'll pick you up at your door and they'll drop you at wherever you're going. If somebody told you that like 10 years ago, what would you have said? So these are entrepreneurs. They see something out of nothing. They, you know, they really, really fulfill and just push for their for their desires. So an entrepreneur, if you're 19 years old, I think at any point in time, you'll make it. Yeah. You'll basic, try. Basically, mm -hmm. don't listen to the naysayers. Is the, don't listen the to the naysayers. There. And yeah, I mean, yeah, luckily, I don't really listen to the naysayers. Um, like, and I've kind of, I suppose I've done well not listening to my dad. <laughs> 
I hope the young people are not going to take this seriously. But I think to some point you should because um, you don't know what you're capable of doing until you do it. And don't be, for example, this path has not been the rosiest of paths. It comes with its own challenges, difficulties. It comes with a lot of loss. You know, whether you're losing your car, you're losing income, you're losing family, you're losing friends. You know, it, 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 it's, not a, it's not the nicest of journeys, but something always propels you forward because um, the ones that are going to stick with you are the ones that are meant to stick with you. And the ones that leave, they're never meant to be in your life. Yeah, absolutely agree. So let's talk about this train, right? So Yay. we were on the venture train. Yay! Um, amazing experience. It's mm-hmm. basically a train which leaves Johannesburg, goes down to Cape Town. Yeah. And it's filled with venture capitalists or some, or at least my train was. Our yes. train was. <laughs> Your train? <laughs> yeah, my train, yeah. So it was VCs, accelerators, uh, incubators. Entrepreneurs. Were, uh, entrepreneurs. Yeah. There, there was um, some pretty heavy-hitting guys over from the States as mm-hmm. well. Um, Craig Mullet from the Branison Group. Mm. Uh, there was the Angel Investor There's Network. John, John as well. He's and it was just such an amazing, like I don't know, hot box of like thinking. Mm. And one of the things we were talking about in the train was ecosystem. And mm-hmm. this word got used over and over and over and over again. Death by but, ecosystems. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> but I think it was such an important conversation because this is about fostering the ecosystem yes. of entrepreneurship and startups in South Africa. And if we are going to fix the economy, then we have to have that discussion. Mm. And we were talking at length about the U.S. versus local um, mm-hmm. local ecosystems. Who was the guy from this? Was it the Startup Report? The German uh, yes, uh, Mark Pencil. Yeah, Mark mm. Pencil. And so he was on the train as well, and he had just done a global study on startup ecosystems. Mm-hmm. And so my question I just wanted to explore with you really was, how do we – or to what extent does government policy affect the growth of a local startup ecosystem? I think it has a very important role because you have to have an enabling environment. Anything that happens has to be within a framework. And if the framework is designed to kill businesses instead of building them, then you have a bit of a problem. And currently that is what we're struggling with in South Africa. I can make a simple example of taxation of startups. So for you to be taxed or not taxed, you have to be earning less than 75,000 rands uh, taxable income. So that's a small amount of money. I mean, if you're a small business startup, essentially, let's say if you're making about 35,000 rands turnover in your first couple of months, within the third month, you're going to now have to pay tax because now you've gone above 75,000 rands. And um, the level at which you're going to be taxed is now you can be taxed as much as a big company is because, you know, it's either from, I think, zero till 75 is zero. And then from 75,000 rands until 350, it's 21%. And then 350,000 until anything upwards, it's 28%, which is how much, uh, you know, corporates pay in South Africa. So there are progressive countries like India that give uh, startups a three-year tax uh, break. Like zero tax. Like zero tax. You're not taxed for the first three years of, of, of you know, your startup life. Mm. Um, so if we were able to do that, because now there is a level of non-compliance, people will actually not want to register their business because they're afraid that they're going to be taxed. And obviously we want more people to be compliant. We want more people to be registered. We want people to start and build sustainable businesses. So if the framework is not enabling from a policy perspective, we're actually killing these people. We don't want them to start. We don't want them to succeed. Um, it's like, you know, still killing a child that's kind of trying to grow up and just say, we'll tax you, we'll do this, we'll do that. So 
that's the one thing. And then also from, a, um, you know, another thing is our ability to actually support small businesses. For example, um, if you had to look at the public sector support for SMEs, you know, you have to look at, okay, how is it currently being run? What has it yielded? You know, have we really been able to churn out a whole lot of successful small businesses in South Africa that eventually grow and eventually employ and contribute towards the economy? Probably not, because the thing is, the people that are helping SMEs from the government are not necessarily people that have opened, you know, businesses themselves. So how do you actually train an entrepreneur, mentor an entrepreneur, fund an entrepreneur if you yourself have never done that. You don't know what they have to go through. You don't know what challenges they have. So how do you best better um, advise them? So I'm happy that I've had the opportunity to start to quit my job, start up and have my own business so that now I'm in a position that I can tell, I can, I can relate to when an entrepreneur is struggling for the first couple of months. I can relate to an entrepreneur that's been running around in circles, going to one environment to another, environment, being pushed from pillar to post because I've been there myself. So it would actually add a lot of value if, you know, what is being put out there to assist us has actually had that experience and can actually relate and sympathize yeah. and implement better. So I suppose that's where your value lies, really. It's the ability to translate the, the business world, the entrepreneur's world back into the um, kind of regulatory environment. environment yes. Right? I'd probably be the one that has experienced it. I'd be the voice of the entrepreneur because I'm an activist and I'm also an entrepreneur. Mm. And if they're kind of trying to pass something that's like, hang on, that doesn't make any sense. That's actually going to disable us instead of enabling us. Maybe you should look at doing it in a certain way. The good thing about the organization I run is that all of us are entrepreneurial. We've all had, um, you know, opportunities to start something, fail, start again, fail, start again, maybe win. And so, you know, when it comes to things such as IP and exchange control, like the chairman of Simodisa, he's a successful South African scale-up business. You know, he started Clickatal, you know, the guy from Cape Town had a startup. But over the past 12 years, it's been able to scale globally. It's in America, it's in Europe, it's in Africa, it's also in South Africa. And if we now go out to the public and say, in terms of IP and exchange control, these are the challenges, these are the hurdles. If the government is trying to put a regulation around that, this is what you need to relax. We know what we're talking about because we've gone through it. And who are you, who are you lobbying? Lobbying the private sector and the public sector. So private sector around, you know, having much more effective enterprise and supply development initiatives for SMEs. It shouldn't just be them ticking boxes saying that, yes, I've been able to support an SME tick, but more like, well, I've been able to support an SME. I've been able to take them from this level to a point where they're now sustainable and they're actually able to um, uh, supply us because now we've nurtured them through the process. Um, so that's how we engage with the private sector. So around, uh, you know, supply chain and integrating SMEs into values, uh, corporate value chains. And then the government around policy, around investing, um, you know, in, 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 the, in the industry. Because right now, government is not really putting any money towards venture capital. It's currently just the private sector that's leading it. I mean, there's a 1.5 billion rand fund that was established by a group of CEOs of big companies. And the idea is that it is going to be a co-investment between the 
the government and the and the and the, and the corporates, but till this day they haven't put any money. So we are saying constantly saying, guys, we need a co-investment fund because venture capital is required. It's needed if we are to grow and support small businesses. We need it, but it has to be leveraged. It has to be co-invested between the two of you guys. Mm. And what policies have you pushed through? So we've pushed through the IP and exchange control and loop structures. So that relates to IP um, ownership. Um, our ability for, you know, if you want to actually own um, your IP in South Africa, they're going to relax some of the conditions because it uh, initially it was very difficult. And that's why you got a lot of people, um, you know, uh, essentially registering their business or the IP somewhere else, not in South Africa, because it's tricky to get your money out and your money in through the exchange control. And then also the other one is a section 12J, uh, which is essentially a tax incentive for venture capital companies. So, um, there's one thing now that the you know the tax on high net worth individuals that are earning more than 1.5 million rands, um, it's now 45 uh, percent. Um, so if you were to invest in a, a Section 12J company, you could actually be able to bring it down um, to 41 uh, percent because it does give you that uh, tax incentive. So we've been able to push those two. The ones that we're still working towards is having an entrepreneurship visa and also relaxing some of the uh, business visa requirements. Uh, labor laws, the same way we treat a big business, is the same way we're treating a small business in South Africa. Um, and then this co-investing in a venture capital fund, uh, the government, we actually trying to get them to put, even if it's a cent, they just put something so that at least the private sector doesn't feel like they have to do this by themselves. Maybe um, a bit more than one cent. Maybe a little bit more, <laughs> but just, just, you know, the, just have the intention of saying, we understand it's necessary and we're going to do this. So um, those are some of the, um, the policy regulations that we really, really want um, um, the government to come to the party with. Because when we started Simodisa, when they started Simodisa, let me not sound like I started it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been able to drive it. But when Simodisa was established, um, essentially they had this document, which was a comprehensive policy recommendation, white paper to the government. So government, if you want to support more high impact, high growth SMEs, these are the policies that have to be amended. So out of the seven policies, we've been able to drive two. And essentially, we uh, it's work in progress because you still have to continue to lobby. Um, they might kind of pass something, but it's still gray. We need to refine it. So we're constantly working in that. Um, in that well, yeah, working on that. As to what can the private sector do, I don't think they can do much because at the end of the day, it's about the leaders that we've chosen. You know, we have to deal with what, you know, the, the, the majority of the people have chosen. Um, so private sector doesn't have much control as to who goes out there and votes for Jacob Zuma to be the president of South Africa. But it's clear that he's not good for South Africa. He's not good for business. Um, there is a huge leadership void in South Africa. I feel like we are hopefully finding our bottom because it cannot get any worse than this. But I believe that, you know, with the current cohort of young people, the likes of the Chippos, the Rapalangs, some of the people that you have interviewed, um, there's hope. There's really, really hope because now we are educated, we are exposed, we know what's good for business. I mean, some people are good, some people are not good, but I believe that the future, the South Africa's future is in good hands. It's just a, a function of time. And I believe that now it's probably the right time when we need to find our bottom because we know what could go wrong. I mean, the corruption that we're reading about on a daily basis, the corruption that's happening with now the social development department, now people's um, 
ability to get some money at the end of the month, it's compromised, but it's all coming out. It has to come out and it has to get flushed out. So I believe it's a necessary evil that's happening and the system will just clean itself out. How will we know when we've actually hit the bottom? Shish, you know, every time I hear something in the news, it's like, we can't still be finding our bottom. But like I said, like all the S has to get out, come to the surface and get flushed The shit, you can say it. The shit needs to come out. It needs to come to the surface and get flushed. So... Um, I think that, you know, South Africa has not been in the best of shapes. Hence, that's why for what we're trying to do in developing SMEs, we look at the current people we have as ministers of, um, you know, within our environment. And it's a challenge because it's like, doesn't matter who does what. This system is corrupt. It's corruptible. We don't have people that we look up to as leaders. I'm sure things can only get better from here. So mm. it's a function of just being patient. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Doing your bit whilst we kind of wait around. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose you have to be patient, right? You, yeah. We're playing the long game as a country. Mm, mm. Um, but in the short term, though, I do think there are leaders such as yourself and Rapalang and so on and so forth that are leading the, the kind of charge and are, um, in my view at least, walking examples of mm. what the future of South Africa can manifest. Mm, mm. And... So I want to detour back to Simadisa because mm-hmm. you guys are launching a new platform. A portal, yes. A portal. And portal. it's a portal that, as from what I understand, I really only know the fact that you're launching this thing. <laughs> <laughs> but but why don't you walk us through why and, okay. and what will we learn on there? Great. So in May, we'll be launching what you call Venture Central which is South Africa's digital home for entrepreneurs. So Simodisa's role in South Africa is connecting the entrepreneurship community. So if you're an entrepreneur at any point in time, it's difficult for you to access information, to know who's doing what, how they're doing it, how is it going to benefit you, to access opportunities. There's a lot of material. There's a lot of content. There's a lot of corporates. There's a lot of private sector, um, you know, civil society organizations that are all trying to help small businesses. But we have a very fragmented entrepreneurial community. Everybody's doing everything everywhere in all sorts of directions. And if you're an entrepreneur, you don't necessarily know at any point in time, really, really what's at my disposal as an entrepreneur to actually help. Can I just say on that one thing? Yes. I really feel like as a community, we, we're running to stand still in mm-hmm. many respects mm. because I mean, I, I know all the stories mm. and everyone is doing their own yes. thing. And so, so am I right to assume that this platform is going to help drive cohesiveness between individual programs and companies? It's going to be the golden thread that connects all of these initiatives. <laughs> so that's what the portal is. It's essentially connecting all the opportunities, looking at all that's available, all the tools, all the resources, all the other smaller portals and putting it into one big place. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're at the ideation stage of your business or you are at the acceleration stage of your business, we would be able to aggregate all that's available to you. For example, incubator programs, accelerator programs, access to funding, access to procurement uh, opportunities. So already in the market, there are some portals that exist. So there's FinFindEasy. That is a collection of all the funding options you have in South Africa. Yeah, there's also an angel... There's an investment network? Yes, there's SABAN, the South African okay, Business yeah. Angel Network. Yeah. So there is the SAFCA, which is South African Venture Capital Association. So there are all these wonderful things that are now put into one particular portal, and that's in the FinFind Easy portal. So there's FinFind for funding. And then if you're looking for um, access to markets, 
for the government, like government tenders, government procurement for from the private sector, like um, private sectors, uh, you know, companies looking for stationery. So there's this thing called supply chain network, which basically connects you as an entrepreneur. You create your profile to procurement opportunities. So if they know that you supply stationery and they know that um, Standard Bank is looking for stationery, that particular platform would connect you guys. That's one example of another portal that exists. And then we also have the National Mentorship Movement, which is a, a matchmaking portal for uh, mentees and mentors. So all of that, you might not know about it, but all of that is going to be existing on this collective portal. So awesome. if you're looking for mentorship, we'll connect you to the mentorship portal. If you're looking for funding, we'll connect you to FinFind Easy. If you're looking for articles, we have content partners such as Entrepreneur Magazine, Business Partners, Ernest & Young. You know, Ernest & Young, you can't afford their services, but they've been able to say that, well, we've got a lot of industry information. If you want to go into mining, you want to know, okay, how do I measure myself relative to how everybody else is doing? Who are the key players? Um, or how do you measure the industry success? How has it been performing? All of that stuff is good to know when you're trying to go into an industry, but it's very, very expensive. You can't really afford it. But they've been saying, we be, we collect this information for clients and it's something that we can uh, make available to entrepreneurs that are wanting to go into certain industries. So industry research and industry information is all going to be there. So if you're in Durban, if you're in Joburg, if you're in Cape Town and look, you're looking for working spaces, you're wanting to know how, uh, how much speed of internet do they have, you know, we'll be able to list all of that on this portal. So it's basically a collection of what exists to help small businesses all in one platform. It's a one-stop shop. I hate using that word, but basically it's a one-stop shop. It's fine. It's fine. It's all good. It's okay. It's okay. Um, what's the link or the website? It's called Venture Central. So it's www.venturecentral.co.za. You can actually go there now and register your details, but we're going to be launching it in May. Okay. Superb. Amazing stuff. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to quickly detour back mm -hmm. to uh, grassroots development of entrepreneurship. So I yep. think this portal is a great... Um, way to aggregate a lot of information mm -hmm. that is relevant to um, anybody who's aspiring to be an entrepreneur. Mm. But outside of government um, lobbying mm. and private sector lobbying, how do you engage with, mm. you know, at the grassroots level? How, sure. how do you engage? So it's a bit of a challenge, right? Because, um, you know, brick and mortar is very expensive. And that's why for us, it's very difficult right now to be going to Soweto, to be going to Mlazi, to be going to Kailicha, to be going to all the different parts of the country and engaging with SMEs in far and removed rural areas. That's why it's very, very important that we're launching this portal because all you need to do is have access to the internet. You know, young people are all online now. They have Facebook accounts, they're on Instagram, they're tweeting about anything but everything. So they have access to the internet. So for us, if you're in a far and removed grassroots area of South Africa, whatever anybody in Santon has access to on this portal, it's the same with you because as long as you just have access to the internet, you would have you be able to share the same kind of information, uh, retrieve the same kind of information as anybody that's here. So that's our plan and mission of ensuring that there is access to all sorts of opportunities for anybody in South Africa by taking it digital. And what about content to support and nurture the sort of... Yeah, so so just like how to build a business, 101. 
you know, basic business principles. So all of that is there because is of, there our, of our content partners. Like okay. if you're, an, if you just have an idea and you want to build a business plan, there'll be business plan templates. There will be a business model canvas because that's what we're using now. Um, so all of those templates are there because of the partners that we have. So the idea of the portal is not to recreate any content. Um, you spoke about how to sell, how to market. If you look at Entrepreneur Magazine on a monthly basis, it's quite expensive to buy an Entrepreneur Magazine. But they've been able to let us um, have access to information that they've had from all the years they've been around. You know, they've been able to feature entrepreneurs um, in South Africa as, as capturing their journeys. So essentially, um, you know, that kind of information will be available, will be made available to them. Amazing. And it's free um, as long as you give us your information, you know, and a lot of information, not just name, surname, email address, and that's it. So for us, we really need to understand who you are so that we can understand how to help you. So the more information you give us, the more we can pay, pay you with, you know, what you're looking for. Okay, amazing. And I look forward to seeing the launch in May. Let me know. I'll put it out on, uh, across you. my network, obviously. Thank you. So final part of the interview, some rapid fire questions. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So if there were three people, alive or dead, that you could have dinner with. Yes. <laughs> warming you up. <laughs> yes. Who would they be? I would have dinner with Stephen Biko if he was alive because I think he's epic the whole black consciousness, um, you know, theory and principle of just because you're black, you are capable. doesn't mean you're dumb. It doesn't mean you're stupid. Regardless of where you come from, you know, it's, it's, you can do it. It, it. it is your right to be alive. It is your right to be alive and live the best life that you can live and be educated and contribute towards society and build in your own. So that's that. And then I would have Michelle and Barack Obama. I think they're an epic couple. Um, I believe that, you know, they've they've been able to change the paradigm because as young people, as young black people, you can be the number one of, you know, the world because essentially he was that for the past eight years. So it's possible as long as you believe in yourself, as as long as, you, I mean, he, he, he defied the odds. He's the first black American uh, president of the United States of America. So having a conversation uh, with those three people would be amazing. Um, yeah. Okay. And um, if you could give a 20-minute TED Talk, what would you talk about? It doesn't need to be Simidisa entrepreneurship-related, maybe a little-known passion that you have. I would speak about African youth, how essentially they are our best natural resource and how we should refine them to be that precious metals or that precious gold that everybody wants. So my TED talk would be around how do we harness young Africans to be the natural resource that the whole world wants? Because right now we've got natural resources, we've got platinum, we've got diamonds, we've got gold. Everybody wants it. Everybody is taking it from us, um, you know, that we're not really benefiting much as a continent from what we have. But if we were to take young, uh, you know, young Africans and deem them as our best and natural resource and how we can refine and how they can be the best product for the world, that's what I will talk about. And obviously to then talk around leadership, to talk to uh, enabling them, giving them uh, the skills, uh, giving them skills of the future, harnessing them, um, ensuring that they know that they can also contribute because they are a natural resource of the world. Great. Sounds like an amazing talk. I'll do it one day and I'll send you a link. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. To what do you attribute your success? God. Really? (laughs) G-O-D. The big man upstairs. Awesome. Yeah, that's. I really have a very um, cool um, relationship with God. Every morning when I wake up, 
um, I would say I always have a 30-minute conversation with him. Um, I would read and, 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 and have Bible scriptures and just talk to him around, okay, well, today seems like it's a cold day, but I'm going to have a wonderful day. And thank you for giving me and blessing me everything that I have. And also, you know, for specific things that I want for my life, I always just um, ask God to, to bless me with that. And I suppose I can attribute everything that I've done to him, my, my past, my present, my, my future, my purpose, everything. It's just like, you know, I'm, I just think he's amazing. Do you meditate? Yes, I do meditate in the morning. And do you do guided meditations, any other kind of meditation? Um, no, I, I would say for me, it's just having that very quiet environment. Um, it's either in my living room and I open the windows in, in summer and I just kind of reflect because it's quite a nice little view outside. Um, and then I just connect and just focus on just having that conversation with God. So I don't do the hum hum thing. It doesn't make any sense to me. I've tried it. I've tried breathing in, breathing out and all of that stuff. But for me, it's like I always feel much more enlightened after I have had that conversation with God. Okay. Um, when you hear the word successful, who do you think of and why? Yeah, I have a spiritual mom. So a spiritual mom. Yes, and she's a very successful businesswoman. I haven't really tapped into her business acumen, but spiritually, um, she's a person that I would say she's very successful. I mean, very, very undercover, not somebody that you'd read about or hear about, very covert, but very successful. I mean, she lives just down the road, you know, in the rich suburbs. Her house is massive. It's literally uh, the house that's opposite Gibbs. Sorry, now I'm telling people where my What's spiritual mother lives. <laughs> but I mean, she, <laughs> but she's highly successful. And the reason why, um, you know, I say she's success is because she's taught me how to really connect to my spirituality, which adds to my success. Mm-hmm. She attests everything to God and her, the relationship she's had with God. I think she taught me how to fast, you know, on an annual basis. And now I'm actually starting to do it twice a year. I have a spiritual fast. And she taught me how to do that five, six years ago. And six, if you had to look at my career, it's been developing for the past six years. Mm. So it's, it's had, it has had a lot of influence in how I do things, how I see things. And I would say she's one person that for me is quite successful. Talk to me about your fasting a little bit more. Well, I starve myself and pray at the same time. <laughs> basically, it's a 20- But you look so good. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. It's basically a 21-day um, spiritual fast called the Daniel Fast. And there you basically have to eat vegetables, um, fruits, and water. Nothing else. So nothing that is from, everything has to be from the earth. So it can't be refined sugars. You can't even have honey because honey has been processed. Mm. So think about taking something from the ground or from the tree and eating that. So essentially that just cuts out a lot of things. You can't have dairy, you can't have protein. Um, you can't have anything that's just not vegetable, fruits or water. So you do that for 21 days, but it's not like a diet for 21 days. You actually have to pray. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's uh, you know, it, it gets better over time, but... Every time you do that spiritual fast, you're tested. You know, that's when all this stuff comes out. You know, all these people come out of the woodworks. I mean, the last time I fasted, you know, you pray that people that are not adding value in your life, you know, you pray for specific things. You also need to kind of say, this particular fast, I'm going to pray for X, Y, and Z. You know, so sometimes you pray for, you know, relationships, friendships that are not really adding any value in your life. They need to come out. So last year I had one of my then very good friends tell me that she doesn't want to be friends with me anymore. And this is during my spiritual fast. 
Hmm. How, when have you ever had a friend tell you that she's kind of like unfriending you? Yeah, unlike. <laughs> I like you. I don't uh, want to be your friend anymore because of X, Y, and Z. So it really, really tests you spiritually. You know, you kind of, it drops you to a point where you're like, wow, wow, why is this happening to me? But that's normally what happens when you're really plugged into a very spiritual environment or spiritual realm that, you know, they say the devil will attack you. So essentially that's what happens. But it's important that you pray. So what I do on a daily basis, I kind of do it six times in a day. Okay. Is that so <laughs> six times praying a day? Praying, yeah. Okay. Having that conversation with God a day. Alrighty. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, I haven't ever... I've considered it, mm-hmm. but I literally can't function if I don't... It's not easy. I mean, the first couple of years, it's difficult because you now have to contend with not eating. Literally, you lose a lot of weight. Literally, you you can't have cereal like milk and cornflakes or whatever it is you have in the morning. You can't have milk. You can't have cornflakes. You have to have oats because oats is like a grain. So you can have oats, uh, but you can't have it with um, you know your normal dairy milk, hundred percent fat dairy milk. You can have it with soy milk because you know it's um, essentially soy is you know soy beans and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So you have to contend with the ability not to be able to eat, but over the years, the eating part for me is not a challenge. The fact that I can't have a glass of wine or whatever, I can't have alcohol for, um, you know, anything that feeds the soul and feeds, well, anything that feeds the flesh, you cannot consume. So for 21 days, you have to focus on. So, but over the years for me, it's become easier. The food is not an issue. I can actually go for 21 days with just eating all of that stuff. Mm. I can survive. It's difficult because the last time I did it was during the festive season. Like who does that? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I thought because it's such a challenging time, I'm sure the benefits and the the outcomes because you're praying for uh, breakthroughs in your life. So I believe that if you really challenge yourself, then you'll see the greater, um, you know, um, benefits and the greater break break breakthroughs in your life. My challenge there is I have to convince my wife to allow me to do something like that. Ah, yeah, it's difficult when you have partners because now you have to eat a certain way. You cannot do certain things that partners do. So let me tell you, do not keep my wife away from her wine. <laughs> yeah, I know it's challenging, um, but it's doable and it's worked for me. So that's a point of reference that over the past six years of my life, I've seen how amazing the spiritual connection to God has been for my life and just letting go certain things for a certain period of time and then see the outcomes. It's amazing. Cool. It's amazing. Two more questions. Yeah. Um, what is one great injustice that you see in the world? Ooh, yeah, that's a very interesting question. That's also very deep to my heart um, because I just always, I don't want to be the only one that is shining. I don't want to be the only one that's a rising star. I don't want to be the only one that gets to enjoy what I enjoy, which is, you know, I, I live a very great life. And some people might think it's an average life, but I'm just such a grateful person. Whatever I have, I'm always very grateful. So the biggest injustice is for people not to be able to live and pursue their purpose and pursue their passion um, and also be able to be granted the ability to live the best life that they can. And I often find that it all starts with you. As much as society can push you down, as much as your country cannot give you the best education, best infrastructure, we've heard of many people that have been able to come out of those kind of environments and do amazing things. So what makes them special? It's because they believe in themselves. It's because they don't think that what they have is all that they will have for the rest of their lives. They see a bigger world than what they're actually confined to. So I really wish that, you know, that that, that injustice starts with self. 
your ability to not want nothing but the best for yourself. So you are your worst enemy when it comes to some of the things that you can and cannot do. In my life, there's no such things as can't. You know, I will do it. And if it doesn't happen, it's like I've tried it and it didn't happen, but I will do it. And a lot of times it actually does happen. You know, when it comes to money problems and I never think of, oh my gosh, I don't have money as stress. I'm gone beyond the point of stressing. I'm just saying this is taken care of. It's just a matter of time. Matt, you're sorted. So don't stress about it. So that self-belief, that belief in the higher power of saying that he's taking you through such difficult periods in your life. What makes you think that he's not going to take you through this one? When has he ever disappointed you? So the biggest injustice is what we do to ourselves. And I think our biggest ability is to realize that the minute you stop stopping yourself from opportunities is actually when everything comes into your life because you believe you can do it. And it does happen. It does happen. Power. I'm, I'm a living proof of just believing in certain things that people never thought. I mean, seven years ago, I didn't think I'd be sitting here, you know, in the hot seat with lovely Matt being interviewed about the journey of my life. Um, is it something that I, I, I wanted for my life? I've always known as a young girl that, hey, I want to live that top billing life. You know, we used to watch top billing on SABC2 and it's like, hey, I want to drive that. I want to be like that. Now I actually don't want a top billing life, but I, there are a lot of aspirations that I have for my life. And I wish that people could just tap into their own potential just by believing that they can do it. Mm, yeah, that's such a great lesson. My father actually, um, he, when I, used to, when I was a young kid and when I first said the word can't, he said, Matt, go and get me the, the dictionary. Mm. I'm like, what for? He says, just go and get the bloody dictionary. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a very strict guy. Yes. His way or the highway. So off I go, run to the lounge to get the dictionary, come come back. I'm like, yeah, dad, here's the dictionary. Mm-hmm. He says, okay, I want you to look up the word can't. <laughs> Doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. <laughs> <clears throat> and my two-year-old's starting to, he's like, I can't find it. I can't find it. You know, I don't know where they learn it from. <laughs> but I think I just, like for me, it was the association and it was just a little thing that that lesson taught me that there's no such thing to your point um, as can't. Mm. And it does all start with you. And if things aren't working, it's because of you, actually. It's not because of your clients not paying you, although it's very easy to blame them. Yeah. <laughs> Blame it on the clients. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, but it's true. You know, they, it's very easy to blame everything outside of yourself. Mm. Um, but when you really are honest, you'll see where the true problem lies. Mm. Yeah. And it always sits with you. Absolutely, Matt. I think it's very, very important to just believe in yourself. Um, you're not going to get everything you want. I think you also have to learn that. I have to learn that. <laughs> that everything you want in life might not come to you. But I think the fact that I'm so um, connected to a spiritual realm to God and I have a very healthy um, attitude towards life, it does help a lot because there's a lot that you filter out. Literally the people that I have around me are people that are adding to my life. I've had to filter out people that are not going to make me feel good about myself. You know, the people that doubt who I am. And also I like the haters and the, the naysayers, the doubters, because when I do something, I'm like, hey, look at me now. <laughs> it's, But I mean, I don't live my life so that I can prove a point. But it's like, I've just told myself that there's certain things I want to achieve in life. And I'm not shy of t- having telling God every day. You know, if there's something that you should be is consistent. So I have a consistent conversation with God. There's some things that change because God, please pray for this friend because she's going through that or this one is not well. But there's certain things with, within the conversation I have with God that are very consistent. And I see them every day and I, without fail. Mm-hmm. So be very Show consistent. Up today, basically, yeah, yeah. Make it rain. Make it rain. <laughs> Make it rain. 
Cool. Last question for you. Uh, what's your why? Why do you do what you do? I do it because I want to be happy. You know, anything in life, I'll do it because it's going to make me happy. So if making money makes me happy, I will do it. If helping people build businesses so that they can make money and empower themselves and empower nation, I will do it. So I do things because it makes me happy. And that's why it was a challenge for me not to stay, well, to kind of, it was very challenging for me to stay in a corporate environment because it's like, why am I doing this? It's not going to make me happy. All I'm doing is feeding into somebody else's bottom line. I'm just another number in the system. I have to climb a corporate ladder. I have to face a glass ceiling as a woman. I have to be, you know, engaging things around gender imbalances and inequalities. So I left all of that. I left all of that because I was like, well, I don't want to do it. And I don't, I want to create my own ladder. I want to climb my own ladder. I don't want to face any glass ceiling. So I never relate to issues of gender because when a woman says, oh, but you know, men are so oppressive in the corporate environment. I'm like, leave and start your own business. Just leave. Yeah. So the why for me is anything that makes me happy, anything that makes me smile. Amazing. Matty, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute privilege and an honor to get your story on record. And it's very exciting to see where Seema Disa goes. Um, and the fact that you're an instrumental player and influencer in that space, I think we do have hope as a country. Yes, it's a huge undertaking, but it can be done and it can only be done as a collective. And that's why Seema Disa's aim is how do we connect? How do we be the golden thread? How do we, things are out there. It's how do you put it together? I suppose that's also the whole principle of Uber. Not using anything that's new, but just collaborating everything that already exists so that it makes sense. So that's what Sumudisa is. Cool. The Uber of entrepreneurs. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again. And yeah, let's keep in touch. Of course, Matt. Looking forward to it. And thanks so much for the opportunity. And I hope if, even if it's one person that listens to this and it changes how they see life, I'd be very, very happy. There'll be more than one, I can promise Yay. you. Counting. <laughs> Onwards. Ciao, ciao. <laughs> hey, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the Digital Kung Fu Show. It's been an absolute pleasure having you with us. If you'd like more information on Digital Kung Fu, a full show notes listing on this particular episode, or would like to access our growing community of entrepreneurs, simply check out digitalkungfu.co.za and you can find us all over the social media graph. Until next time. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.